Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. You're welcomed back on Grognar, the young, young Grognar's channel. You are greeted by a casting crew for the campaign, The Beckons of the Herald of Steel. In the first adventure in this campaign series, The Queen, we are officially moving on to the second quest, The Way of the Queen. And so the last quest that uh, we just are now wrapping up uh, was pretty tumultuous. The party finally met, met up in Cooperford, did a lot of things, found out a lot of spooky stuff, keep hearing rumors of the strange beckoning of the Herald of Steel. The party encountered lots of cultists, a lot of strange dealings, a lot of spooky people doing spooky, awful things, and a lot of loose ends have yet to be tied up. Um, but at this point in time, our party are thick in the heart of the dungeon at a Southwatch, the fort, where the cult, the children, the, the children of the Pale, had officially just lost their leader. Um, but the last thing that had just happened was kind of a, kind of a bit of an interesting little moment as the party had just finished off the last skeleton and the leader Elimia had fallen unconsciously thanks to Norhill's final strike. Uh, a single axe clangs to the ground with a hefty sound of a neck being chopped as Jarzak pulls back his axe. Um, so we also leveled up in that last bit. Um, I figure we should probably do a quick talk about level ups. Everybody just made it to level two. Everybody's staying in their class. No multi-classing in this. Anybody have any cool features they want to talk about? Anybody like spec in a way that deserves to be talked about? It, yeah, so we're not supposed to multi-class? I swear to God. I, I was just towing each. Are you doing a bard lock? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> no, no, one of each. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so did anybody the have ultimate any cool beginner. Features? Anybody do any specs yet? Anybody like... I have two sorcery points. Well, I have, I have two spells now. <laughs> finally. Oh, my God. I can finally that... turn on dead. <laughs> Which is going to come in handy now that you've just vanquished the dead. Um, yeah. So does that mean Jarzak officially picked up a Warlock Pact? I think that's third level, isn't it? Oh, is it third level? Yeah. yeah. That makes your patron sense. at first and your Pact at third. Okay. Um, did Norhill pick a warrior way, or is that third level as well? That is third level. Uh, that is third level. I can action surge now, though, so I, there can, you come. Make, I can make two attacks in between naps. <laughs> yeah, I can cast two spells in between naps. <laughs> and uh, Ronnie, does uh, does Anton have any sweet new abilities? You mentioned the turn uh, turn on dead, but is there anything else you wanted to mention? Um. 
You know what? I'm honestly still reading through my spell list. You know, that's the best time to be doing it. No, I'm sorry. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, media res. That's, that's really the, the phrase of the campaign. But anyway, we leave. Uh, we just left off at the point where Jarzak had chopped the head as the smoke clears up in the uh, darkened chamber here, the little cult worshiping chamber behind the altar. Uh, and I guess everybody's just standing there, probably slack jawed seeing this happen. So I don't know. All eyes are on Jarzak at this point. So the axe hits the. And. Jarzak kind of stands up and sees everyone seeing him, and he's like, guys, uh, don't worry, I got her. Is this a deception um, check? Is this what I'm seeing right now? I I got her. You know, that's very true. Norhill <laughs> did, too. I think most people could say that, but I don't think it all has the same implication. So go ahead and roll that deception check, because... You're playing dumb about having, like, hit her, like, oh, man, she fell down, but I finished the job. Don't worry. I think we all know what happened there. So what did you get? I'm not being deceptive. I would say it's more persuasion. No, it's fucking not. <laughs> uh, a 25? Another fucking 25? <laughs> I'm Okay. Go ahead. Everybody roll it. Somebody else has to roll a fucking high. Everybody just pulls fumbles just to let him float on it. <laughs> I have a minus one insight, so oh, I cannot sake. get a 25. Well, if you quit, you, you could sure not did. 20. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get above a 30. Oh, look, so. at, oh, look at that. Norhill not one. The orc did us a favor. <laughs> I think it got a zero. <laughs> I got a 13. Oh, for fuck's sake. Okay. And so with that, everybody just assumes maybe maybe Norhill, when he bumped her on the head, she was actually not out cold yet. And then Jarzak finished the job and protected us all. And so like I said before, the key falls off her rings uh, and lands on the ground beside everybody. So as we're scooping people off, off the, up off the ground and kind of picking each other up after that fight there, um, there is something of a sort of obfuscated doorway in the back of the room behind a large uh, tavern. Um, you can see that it's a large reinforced wooden door with a hefty padlock on the front of it that looks like it would probably fit the key. Uh, Norhill will stomp over and go scoop and go scoop up the key. Okay. Just stomping next to the beheaded Olimia. Does Jarzak take the head? Does Jarzak need to take the head? Well, I mean, there was some I know word I had, about the leader I know I saying, had to behead her, but I didn't know if I had to actually take the head. Okay. I couldn't so remember as, if that was part of it. And so as Norhill goes stomping by, and Jarzak kind of looks down to see the deed had been done, you can see that already there are, like, festering worms kind of lingering around and crawling out of, her, like, the lady's uh, robes and pockets and kind of, like, all festering over towards the head, as if very aware that this head was supposed to be here and, like, somebody just rang a tiny little worm dinner bell. And so they're all running over there in a way that you're, like, I don't know, you probably don't want to draw attention to it, you know what I mean? Considering the fact that, like, you made it such a point to chop the head off and this feels very much so in the tormentor's vein to see that happen and you're, like, uh, you know what I mean? But, okay. So Norhill stomps over, scoops up the key. Does he just go over and open up the door as well? Yeah, if it seems, like, reasonably safe and there are no more of those traps. Those, that's, that's a lot to unpack right there, Mr. <laughs> Norhill. 
I'm sorry, but to just say, if it looks like there's no traps, I don't think you would be really concerned about anything. He's obviously got a little bit more in his mind, so yeah, he's just going to go over and open the door. Oh, dear God in heaven. All right, well. well at least there's no one to bring her back from the dead. No. Oh, is, keep her dead. That's the good cleric. So the dark magics. What's your armor yeah. class, uh, Norhill? 18? 18. Okay, you're very lucky then. So as you pop the lock on the door and like pop the padlock off, you push the door open, and as you do, you can hear the sound of something swooshing through the air. And as you like, in a split second, turn away with like a quick cringe, the shield on your back manages to dink the blade of a spear tip away, as it seems like somebody had a couple of spears hooked up on the ceiling attached to this door that anybody standing directly in front of it when it opens uh, becomes a bit of a shish kebab. Um, but instead of a Shishka Norhill, we get to continue on to the next room, which looking inside, it smells like a bunch of different incense and hangs with a clinging smell of smoke as if this room has been lit by candles and still is pretty well lit. But it's a, it seems to be Olimia's personal private chambers. There's a small stack of goods, like coins on the table next to her bed, uh, which is obviously black and super edgy with a, one of those hymn logos on it. Um, with a little heartogram on it and everything. Um, look, man, some Classic. people never forget. <laughs> but anyway, sorry. But um, everybody, uh, sorry. Um, but looking in there, you can see that there are, in fact, like a, a pair of silver rings sitting on the uh, nightstand, as well as a necklace and a potion. But uh, one thing you notice, uh, in particular, next to the bed is one ring that almost looks kind of like one of those finger claws, you know what I'm talking about, that reaches like yeah. all the way back on the finger. Um, and it has a very peculiar tip, almost like a diamond point to it, um, which you can see twinkling the light from afar. So do you wish, do you wish to pick up all this stuff? And is everybody else going to follow you in the room? Yeah. Uh, Norhill's going to fully toss the room. He's going to what? He's going to toss, he's going to toss the room. Okay. Uh, so he's going to, you know, pick up all of the obvious stuff, but then he's also going to like turn over the mattress, check under the rug, open all the drawers. Okay. Fair enough. And I'll say that, um, what, do you want to say that you're doing that while everybody else is scooping up all the goods, imagining that you're not the only one to go into the room? Sure. Anton's just going to bless both the bodies. Okay. Especially the boys. He feels really bad. He doesn't just think that the child deserved Becoming a skeleton of flame. Now, I will say that when we're saying child here, I know they're like 16, 17 I know, yeah, years old. Yeah, they're like, a child. He's like 50-something years old. I mean, sure, that's that's fair, but it's making it sound like it's a couple of five-year-olds wandered in I here know, and then they got like... turned into skeletons. I'm like, I'm trying to distance myself from that allegation as hard as I can. They're like some whack teenagers who went the wrong way. Fucking couple of shaggies in here. So does that mean so, Klika's the, Klika and Jarzak ended up walking in there behind Norhill? Uh, I mean, Klika was on top of the skeleton when it exploded, so she just covered it in, like, soot and skeleton bits. Like, what's it, left of the skeleton, actually? That's the real question. After a bunch of burnt, brittle bones. Okay. Like, it's still intact. It's just the thing just blew up. It's kind of like if you put, like, a C4 charge in a bunch of bones... It wouldn't turn into perfect powder. Like there'd still be the chunks that would fly away. You know what I mean? I guess. Uh, we all click forgot feel to, okay. We all forgot to roll luck checks to see if bones pierced us. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> 
So then who did go in the room with Norhill? Uh, Kalika would have followed after, after she saw the sweet spears come down from the ceiling. It was like, oh, man. So... Charizak would uh, take a knee by the uh, head and just whisper, I hope you're pleased. And with that, the little grubs kind of separate a little bit and move around and just start to like... I don't know. I don't have any way of describing it other than how disgusting it sounds to say that like, <laughs> yeah. like piglets to the mama, man. Like they just all come closer to where you're talking as if like coming over to your charming voice, all the little maggots and stuff just come over to you. Yeah, he just like uh, puts his hand down, like touching the body and they like crawl onto his hand. He's like, I'm still not okay with it. <laughs> it's kind of like a Billy and Mandy where like Billy's a dead to the fucking, what's his name? Jeff the spider? Yeah, um, Jeff. <laughs> it's like, yeah, kind of like that, where you're still scared of the bugs, but they're like, Daddy! and you're like, Ugh! right? But anyway, okay, so Cleek's going in the room, and she sees all the coins and bits on the uh, on the table there. Did you want to scoop them? Yeah, I guess Cleek will start just bundling everything up. Okay, there's uh, 35 silver pieces, 45 gold pieces. Um, there's also a pair of silver rings that are worth about 10 gold piece in total between the two of them. Who was keeping track of our treasure? Have we found any treasure before I, this? Yeah, I was, but okay. if you want to mark this stuff... I don't. <laughs> if you're doing it, you're doing it. Oh, it so, you're the, so you're the one scooping it. <laughs> Alright, hold on. Let me, let, me, let me go to my notes. Thank you. Oh my god. There's also a, a potion of healing on the table next to her bed. But the one that stands out as being the most peculiar is definitely that ring, the finger claw thingy with a little diamond point on it. Mm. And once you pick it up, you look and you can see that on it, there are three individual little like gemstones kind of marking the first distance between like your fist knuckle to your first knuckle. And they're like three little circles. There's one that's like a dark silvery gray, kind of like a graphite kind of color. There's one that's perfectly white. And then there's one that's perfectly black. Um, and at the point, um, you can see that that diamond tip now that you're looking at it, it almost has like a sheened hue of that milky white color. Lika puts it on her nose like a witch's nose. Okay. It, okay. Well, there, there's, there it is, guys. Um, once you put it on your nose, you recognize very quickly that it, uh, it does feel kind of magical upon your schnoz. More magical than my nose normally feels. It's yes, fantastic. <laughs> you now don't. Now does you it smell, more smell than like pennies? <laughs> it does not smell. For the love of God! And with that, Norhill finds nothing other than a bunch of little bugs in a in a little diary underneath the bed. The diary itself, if you wish to look into it, it has a lot of like general goings-on and a lot of like for what it's worth it's a very meticulous record of this place in total um you find a couple of notes in here talking about um our good buddy shereel and talking about what had happened with him and all that stuff and talking about how he questioned the orcus being in charge around here and basically said that there was a deception amongst the demonic princes and for that he must be punished as he was a non-believer um, said that before he could be killed, he disappeared and they couldn't find him anywhere. But somehow the gateways to get out of here were left unlocked. So it seemed like he somehow slipped out through hiding. And for that reason, she allocated more defenses to scoping the place out. 
There's a detailed record in here of people that she had picked up and taken away, names of people she had taken in. And as far as things go, all the teenagers who had gone missing either ended up here or they were dead. So this list details them as all being named on this list of people who had been a part of it, um, each and every single one of them. Um, now, she didn't really seem to have any follow-up on who died and where they ended up, but at least it says that they had all at one point come here in one way or another. Um, beyond that, she does have this weird mention of the Beckons of the Herald of Steel, and there's this weird note in here about something about this dream about her skin boiling off and how it just like her standing as a skeleton and how naked it made her feel before a strange metallic like resonance frequency kind of like drove all her bones to shatter and turn to dust. So it's this hyper detailed nightmarish vision, but she writes about it as if there's wisdom to be gained from it. Not so much of like, I had a scary dream. What should I do? Instead, it's just like, there's, there was this really cool dark dream I had, but yeah. Um, apart from that, it does detail pretty explicitly also how much she was taking advantage of that stooge down at the barrel making place, uh, at the cooperage that is. I'm the DM, don't worry about it. I'll say barrel making place if I have to. Um, but yeah, so uh, it says how she kind of took advantage of him down there and uh, Gilmo and how he pretty much like offered her this sort of promise ring and how she said like she didn't want it and that he could keep it until the time was right. So yeah, seems like a pretty skeezy lady, pretty awful. But um, beyond that, that's about all you get for information in there. Did Kalika actually want to try using that thingy with her finger or is it really just a nose ring at this point? Um, I think she feels like selfish taking the fancy ring because she just got a fancy dagger. So she's going to go and see if anyone else wants to try wearing this ring and let them know that it's magic. Well, I didn't prepare to detect magic. <laughs> I mean, it feels like there's emanations that, like, putting it on and, like, holding it, you feel it sort of having that kind of charming feeling to it, but... Um... Yeah, let me, let me take a look. So, as you pick it up, it seems to almost expand in your hands as you pick it up, sort of like in the time it takes you to shift it over to your grip, it already expands to nearly like double or triple the size, the difference Whoa. between your fingers and hers. I, I thought this was going to be something like, you know, Klika too small, Jarzak too big. <laughs> but, you know. Oh, not that I easy. guess not. Do you want to put it on? Yeah, I'll put it on. Okay. If it's really good on your nose. For the love of God. Uh, so, as okay. you. Jarzak tries his nose first. <laughs> you have a pig nose, it doesn't fit. So, with that, you put it on your finger instead. Click as, leaps for you. Oh my God. When you put it on your finger, you notice that the tip goes back to that clear color, and each one of the little three dots on it seem to kind of glimmer for a quick second. There is the uh, gray, the white, and the black. Yeah, the whole like grayscale thing's pretty cool, but uh, I'm, I I don't know about this whole ring business for me. Is this what the game's gonna be tonight? It's <laughs> <laughs> a game of magical ring, but not even okay. <laughs> Fuck all y'all. Okay, so you know what? <laughs> somebody picked it up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not doing that voice, but somebody, for the love of God, 
Okay. So does that mean the party's ready to leave then? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's yeah. gonna inspect it any further. That's just where it dies by him saying I don't, I don't like grayscale. Is there anything else to like inspect in the main room? Other than the one mm. in the bedroom? No, apart from like embalming tools that are sitting on the altar. Um I mean the altar oh. is Can Clica make a arcana and then a religion check on the altar? I mean, it's pretty clearly labeled as being an altar to Orcus, and there's like a bunch of infernal script and a bunch of like common script written on it all over the place to kind of identify it as such. It's pretty clearly just like for what it is, just a designated altar to him, sort of an honor. It's not magic per se. It's just a place that's been like, what's it called? Desecrated. Like, you know what I mean? It's just a really spooky, awful place because of how many bad things have happened on it. So... Are there any doors we hadn't gone through yet? Um, yeah. Apart from the entrance to the place, no. Or seemingly the entrance to the place since there was that third door you guys never went through. I mean, the fourth door. Yeah. Did you guys want to go that way? Yeah, because Norhill's interested in trying to find the trap door that was supposed to lead us down through the ruins of the main fort. I will warn you, however, that that door was also said to be guarded and trapped, and it seemed like that would probably be the most hefty danger of all to be going to find and try. If you'd like to continue, by all means do. I just have to ask the DM question, are you sure you'd like to do that? Well, not anymore, no, but Norhill <laughs> definitely thinks it'll be well, for all of well, our cases. Sure. Wait a minute, before we leave, it just occurred to me, she might be dead, but the rest of her goons will still be around. Yeah. I know it might not be the best thing, but should we carry your head around as like, alright, you're gonna come after us, but this is a symbol of uh, That's <laughs> a good idea. Done. I'll as, take as it. Yeah, that's pretty dark for a professional servant of light. I was gonna say, for a servant of the light, that does feel kind of like a dark way of going about yeah, things. Anton, that's, that's, that's fucked up. <laughs> I mean, it'll stop conflict in the future, hopefully. So maybe, maybe we don't have to kill all the grunts. Maybe they can change their ways. For what exactly. it's worth, for what it's worth, from what you guys heard about Shereel's practices from himself and from what you've heard about this lady, she seems kind of like an extremist that cracks the whip. And it seemed like once Jarzak came in here, yelled at them to leave, the whole group of these emaciated boys, as I've described, like all just rain with their tails between their legs. It's starting to feel almost like this place started becoming more of a prison for a lot of the members here, rather than just, you know what I mean? And once you read, once Anton, uh, sorry, Norhill read through the book and saw that most of the current membership was a bunch of teenagers from town, I think it's easy to say that the spooky undeath lady being dead will probably be the wake-up call these guys need to, like, get out of here and forget that it ever happened. You know what I mean? It's just the general vibe of this place and everybody within it seems like she was really like the dark, twisted heart of it. You know what I mean? And with her cut off, literally beheading the snake here, like it, it feels like this place is probably going to crumble yeah. at the seams. Now, if yeah. Norhill would like to, you guys can try to kind of go back th through the entrance here. Um, did anybody want to do anything with the altar or are we just dipping on it? Well, if we're going to carry your head around we should split it into four parts so that we each have one because that's only fair i will yeah, say but, but, <laughs> hold on, before we go around divvying out like you know severed body parts did she carry like a token or something like a holy symbol or a distinctive weapon or anything yeah i mean instead of the severed head 
Yeah, she she did in fact have like a little skull totem necklace. It's it's a little pewter one. It doesn't look like it's worth much, and it seems more like it's just more valuable in in like its religious purpose rather than like an actual item of per- like it's it doesn't look like it's made of silver or anything. It's just like a five silver piece worth like trinket. You know what I mean? Mm. <clears throat> but like you know, the, the idea is, you know, we carried around that and you know waved it around in people's faces like. Look, we killed your master. Now flee. People would like recognize it and understand that carrying that means that we very likely are telling the truth. Right. Yeah, it's... but I think one of them's way more intimidating than the other. Remember, we talked about this. You gotta like, uh, I I have to kill first and then intimidate, or else they're not scared. Again. Is this is this what we're doing? Well, you you have to draw the line somewhere. Yeah, right across her neck, and then cut right along that line. Um. But okay, so is the party now going to go up that pathway like Nornhill wanted, or are you guys going to go out the back door? I said, I said we should make sure this place is kind of cleared out. Fair enough. Like, okay. uh, uh, yeah, we can't leave bad necromancy things here. And Jarzak's going to go and try and break apart the altar. I don't know if we should do that. And also, you know, Maybe nothing for nothing, but we did arrive here floating down the river on barrels. It's going to be pretty hard to get back home going in the same direction. Well. You guys didn't bring your return barrels? <laughs> My barrels are returning. Uh, yeah, we got to go, you know, on the upriver, not the downriver. I guess to understand from a clerical standpoint, is Orcus technically an evil god? He is quite possibly one of the most evil because he is a demonic prince. Like, he's, he's evil in essence. Like, he survives on being chaotically evil. And sanctifying so, his place of worship is, like, I don't want to say tantamount and paramount to your success as a cleric, but to walk into a place most unbelievably evil and dark and just, like, walk out like, this place is creepy. Like, I would feel know, like the need to do the holy rites in this place and kind of I mean, it, I, you know what I mean? I bless the bodies. I'm only weary of blessing the... I'm just because I'm, I'm picking more of my neutral and less of my like good of where it's like all right i feel like if i go too extreme destroying every little piece of evil everywhere it's like then that's too much light and that's a big flaw of mine I mean, you're uh, in literally like one of the butt cracks of darkness and you're like well i don't want to make it too bright in here like it's got ambiance like you're literally in the festering pit. It's like it's so evil uh, so it, many evil things have happened that it is becoming a desecrated place like, this so, is the kind of place other than normally blessing it, is there a particular spell I can do that would have I mean, a certain effect? Or is it I just mean, like a- there is a spell later in the game you can get to designate it as a holy ground, but I mean, mm. following Jarzak's general frame of thought of just destroying this altar so that it yes. doesn't have its function anymore, and then you just performing religious rites in here and being like, this is a place where the light may go. Like, it might yeah, be so Jarzak's Jarzak's gonna go over okay. and start like dismantling everything he can, like any candles and stuff, just getting rid of them. And he's just gonna be like, "Hey, uh, Anton, uh, you, you want to help out and uh, make it so no one else who wanders in here is tempted by the darkness." Will do. I get out my um, censer, censer, and some incense, and really start like just clearing the place out. Really, 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 really smoke it up and <laughs> really starts vibing. 
<laughs> I pull out my 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 pull holy your lava lamp. And chill. Yeah, my holy lava lamp. <laughs> oh. Very good. Yeah, and so after a few crunches and cracks of the altar and start decimating the uh, hardwooded uh, altar here um, and toppling over the slab of marble um, beneath it that kind of held it all together, uh, as it lands to the ground with a huge bang and a crack, you can tell that much of the light from the sensors seems to penetrate the dark shadows of this place, and a lot of that creeping feeling of things watching you seems to dissipate even moments after the crumbling of the marble and the cracking of the altar. And you do feel this strange sense of the place sort of like pulling tendrils back, as if this room is becoming less of a holy room and more of a room that people just haven't lived in in a long time. You know what I mean? That kind of vacant feeling. But... Got it. And so once the cleansing is complete and the vibe has chilled officially, um, the party heads for the doorway that had yet to be opened up. Who's going to lead this group? Jarzak and Norhill together. Okay. Uh, yeah, Klika can go up front for a bit. Uh, yeah, I thought we had like a, you know, whoever goes first, we swap it up because bad things happen to that person. Oh, me and you already had me, me and you already had a turn, Norhill. So, uh, yeah. I mean, if Cleco wants to go first, well, Cleco opened the door to this room, so now it's Antron's turn. Okay, Eagle <laughs> Share is fair. Open the door to the room with the shadow. Anton took his turn. Oh, this is oh so, oh, and it's back to me. Guys, All right, you know, no, I got this. <laughs> I, I got it, guys. Don't worry. I mean, I got the head, so I'll be very intimidating. Are you, do you have the head? Yeah, I, I grabbed it. Those worms Just, have eaten it in a rate that is unnatural. And everybody, once you pick it up to leave, can tell very clearly as like the face just like schlocks onto the ground that this <laughs> face rotted at a rate that was exponentially quick. To the point that a lot of people would be like, uh, foul death necromancer cleric lady. Whereas Jarzak's like, no, a debt's been paid. You know what I mean? Like... Like, you're very aware yeah. of who ate this head. Everybody else is like, this is creepy, spooky things. And you're like, yeah, something like that. <laughs> and, and, I can't touch it. Super quick question. Did dwarves also worship the light, or do they have their own gods? The light is kind of standing in as, like, the, I don't want to say human god, but it's, like, the common god. It's, like, this common concept of most peoples. But every race has their specialized god that they bring to the table as well. You know what I mean? So worshiping the light is not unheard of for dwarves, but being more true to their own heritage, they would probably worship their own dwarfish gods more than that. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. I just don't want to bring in like random gods because I think that it was talked about. So, you know, seeing the head, yeah, uh, Doyle just you know, makes a little, you know, anti evil sign Morden's beard. <laughs> That's foul. Yuck. And so, yeah, who's I, I don't the. But the melted face. I don't know how much good this is going to do for us. And as the bugs like start crawling up his hand from the head. Uh, it... No, I think we have to take back that plan, Jarzak. <laughs> uh, you, know, you didn't grab her so... by the hair. That's just all centipedes now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they kind of just like crawl up Jarzak's skin as they like grant him uh, the false life spell. Yeah. You see his wounds kind of like taking on a weird facsimile of healing. It's like, uh, and I, yeah, I got a, I got a six on my temp HP. All right, enough. let's uh, 
head up Let's that open hallway. this door. <laughs> so you head over to the door and you lift that big wooden bar across the across the side of it. Um, and once you do that, you can see before you a large winding circular stairwell that seems to go perfectly up. And thus we have a conga of doom. So I'm just going to assume it's going to be Jarzak, Norhill, Kalika, Anton. And we'll just call it that. So with that, yeah. Jarzak heads the way all the way up, uh, following all the torches. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be checking all these stairs, guys. So uh, it's going to be slow going. Okay. And as you timidly walk up these stairs, checking each and every one of them, it doesn't seem like there's any traps on the way up. Um, until you end at the top where there's sort of an abrupt stop and a small section of ladder and right above you is a metal plate that's about three feet by three feet kind of like a square of metal with a single hatch kind of like lever on it oh okay conga line up the ladder okay so you climb up and push it and it seems to give way with a little bit more ease than you'd expect um, and as you push it up, the squeakiness of it, it sort of would give away anybody's position. Um, and as you push it open, you can see a bunch of dust comes filtering in and it's relatively dark as there appears to be something of like a tapestry or a rug or something that's been put over the top of this thing. So as Jarzak puts his hand out there and kind of like shoves it aside and starts to lift it up, you see that you're inside what appears to be something of like a stoneworked like fort, something of like a, like a half tower, something like that. Um, and as you look around, you can see this place has been pretty much decimated to rubble. Um, but more importantly, you smell the overwhelming smell of rot. And as you look around at this like eyeballs to the, to the ground level here, you can see a group of four zombies on chains that have officially like fallen to the ground and are just like laying there in a heap. Hard to tell if they're truly dead dead or just undead dead. But because they're not moving at all, even with that loud screech, it would seem that these are, like, vanquished in some way. And as you look farther out, you can see the uh, daylight outside beyond, um, like, the first rays of, of morning light out there. And as you're looking out, you can see that there's small smoking heaps in the distance by, like, a bunch of gravestones out there over the hill, um, since you guys are kind of, like, on a hill looking out. Um, you can see smoking heaps kind of like rising in the distance, leading you to believe perhaps a couple more of those flaming skeletons had found their way outside. And it seems like something had burst them in the same way they had died before down in the chambers. So coast seems as clear as it could be. So Jarzak's just going to like look down and just be like, potential zombies, pass it down. Into zombies, pass it down. It's just a game of fucking telephone. <laughs> I was trying to think of how Klika would mess that up <laughs> in, on the chain, but I, I just don't have anything right now. Yeah. I, I was, I was hoping you'd come up with something. Uh, <laughs> potato tall salami. Pref okay. Preferential salami, pass it down. <laughs> Anton's like, dear God, the indigestion. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Jarzak's going to continue. Okay, so as you pop up and appear in this sort of 20 by 20 section of ruined tower, the zombies don't stir at all, and you can see that the chains around their necks seem to go all the way back to a couple of alcoves, and it seems like looking at where the chains originate, they were almost on, like, mechanical, like, pulleys as if somebody could have pulled the zombies back in at their will or let them free at their will as well. 
And so I don't want to say these look like kind of like guard dog zombies, but they're not stirring at all. And as you walk even closer with your boots kind of clinking on the ground, they don't stir at all. So for what it's worth, something vanquished these zombies, though there's no signs of wounds or anything immediate. And the only thing that kind of comes to mind as the sun's raised, you know, back in the new dawn, perhaps it was just the smattering of that altar and the cleansing of the dark heart of this place. Perhaps there is hope for Southwatch after all. So unless the party had anything they'd like to discuss, I think the party is due to head back. Fair enough. Well, wait, did we bring the diary with us or did we leave it? Yeah, Schnorhill brought the diary. I think we're gonna have to report that to the um, town guard just to close the case of the missing teenagers. Oh, most certainly, but I did want to draw your attention in particular to this part that describes the beckon of the Herald of Steel. I figured an expert on religion like such as yourself might be able to weigh in. I feel like I did a religion check on this before, but I can't. No, it's okay. You don't need to roll for it. I mean, none of what you're reading seems to stand out as being like particularly meaningful, but it all fits the typecast of being like a typical religious sort of inspired dream. Like you could expect somebody would derive meanings here, but it's not so on the nose that it's like, you know, you having a dream about lantern light in the darkness calling you and saying like, come closer, you're getting in the dark. You know what I mean? Like, it's not so bluntly direct. This could have some strange, very literal meaning. This could be something more metaphoric. It's hard to tell, but you can see how it's religiously charged, you know? I just look through the contents of that section again, and I turn to normal, and I'm like, unfortunately, there's not really anything I could pick out that shows great significance. It's too vague, too... There's not much understanding behind what it meant. Unfortunate. So the the party travels back up the river um, following the east run all the way back to the town of Cooperford. And by about breakfast time, uh, the party reaches the town. And as you guys wander in, um, you guys are greeted at the gate by a group of guards. um, And, you know, they kind of let you guys in pretty comfortably there doesn't seem to be any real major like threat they're not like waggling spears at you or anything but as you guys do enter um you can tell that that same sense of like fear seems to be around the town and everybody still even in the morning hours seems to be kind of clutching their pearls and hanging to themselves you know what i mean but i imagine the party's probably going to head directly over to the uh the captain of the watch first and foremost no he'll will anyway Fair enough. Yeah, I'll join him. Yeah, I'll follow. And so with that, the uh, the whole town, uh, the whole party head, yeah, the whole town, the whole party head over to see Captain Sherwell. And as you guys wander in and go to speak with him, he notice uh, he notices a sort of look of I don't know how to describe how the party would look. I imagine there's probably a somber tone since it's like having traveled all through the waking morning hours and having seen like the lift of the shadows, it's sort of this weird sense of having done a lot, but still seeing how much like, if there's this much darkness in one place, you can only imagine what exists in other places. You know what I mean? That bittersweet realization that like, though it's a time to rejoice, how many people had to die before, you know, you guys showed up and finished it off. You know what I mean? Looking through the diary is like looking through an obituary. So there is that tone to the party right now. At least for some people, I imagine Kalika's probably wearing something else on her nose right now. But Is that farmer still in jail? 
Yeah, they both are, him and the kid. And so with this, the uh, the uh, um, captain greets you guys warmly and asks if anything had happened. He mentions that the entrance to the Cooperage was left open last night and said that it looked like some vandals had come in and stolen a few barrels off a couple of the racks, including one of the largest barrels, which is very important and very valuable. But with that, he kind of gives almost like a knowing look around the room as he expects that had something to do with you guys. And he says that there was exactly four barrels missing. But with that, he says, I hope that in the end, something good came of whatever those barrels were used for. Nope. Well, I would certainly not recommend a barrel as a mode of transportation. He says, so what exactly happened last night? Well, uh, uh, Norhill Nor is uh, truthful about every detail of what happened last night and in the fort. He okay. Full story. And so with that, he seems very surprised about details about Shereel and hearing about the Invisible Man being just like a guy and hearing about Gilmo being kind of madly in love to the point of trying to kill people and hearing about that, but also seeing the detailed record in the journal, which I imagine you probably fork over the journal and mention... Mm -hmm. And so after reading through the important sections that you've outlined, um, he does mention, he's like, you know, this seems to check out and make a lot of people's stories a lot more believable. He says, in fact, we had somebody come in just a few hours before you arrived, and he described each of you guys in perfect detail. And he says, I'm going to let all three of these gentlemen out of the prison cell, both the child and the farmer, he says, but there's a man I think you might want to meet. Um, he's got a very interesting story to tell you as well. And as he heads off to the other chamber and comes back, you hear the sound of a bunch of clinking noises and a couple of guards walk out before this procession and you see the farmer who has a look on his face as if he just basically got his ass off the line. And you see the young teenager guy with kind of a solemn look and he looks like, even though he's free, he's like, to what life is he free now? You know what I mean? And then last in line is a man with long, dark hair, a scruffy looking beard that seems to come down tapered and a sculpted look that's been like frazzled, but he's trying to like kind of make back a shape of it. But he's got a very sort of majestic look to him, but one that almost looks roughed by like a lot of hard times. But he looks to you guys and in a voice that seems to cling to the air only the way that an invisible, invisible person's voice could you hear Shereel speak for the first time in an embodied tone, and he says, I, as he takes a knee, am eternally grateful for all that you have done for me. And he says, I wish only to make amends and find out how we can get this goddamn crossbow bolt out of my leg. I'm just kidding. Your, um, your but, voice sounds so familiar. <laughs> it's like, is this guy for fucking real right now? He's like, I often forget that people can see me. I need to stop making faces at people all the time. But... Um, but with that, he basically, the captain says that he will make a meeting with Vindira and pass on word to her, but he has a feeling that as soon as she hears about it, word is going to pass even quicker to other people inside the, uh, the kingdom. So is that the mayor Vindira? Yeah. Um, and so when the, uh, party are basically left to speak with you're now not so ghosty ghost. He mentions that he just had this weird moment of clarity where he 
kind of, he was like asleep in that little hole in the ground that you guys had chased him in before. And he explains that he had a dream that was just so strange and peculiar where he felt like all of the blood in his veins become very heavy. And he felt himself like kind of like falling to the ground. And it's as if like all the blood in his arms was replaced by like just solid iron. And it seemed to like hold him down as if shackling. And he felt like all his bones start to collapse under the weight. And he felt himself just like dying hearing this weird metal resonance sound. He all of a sudden felt this weird basking light kind of come over him. And for every inch of light that kind of bathed him in the darkness of his pain, he felt himself kind of limber up and feel that lightness and that ability to sort of move his limbs. And once he stood up in the light, he just ran for it. And he just ran towards the light and he kept running and running and running until he woke up like a dog does when they have a dream about running and smack into a wall because they get up running. No, I'm just kidding. But he woke up and he just like jumped out of his bed and could all of a sudden see himself. And so he assumes that this has to do something with Anton. And for that reason, after, you know, mentioning the story, he kneels again before Anton and he says, blessings be to the illuminator. I have all the thanks in the world to you, Anton, for all that you have done and all that you have brought for lightness. And he turns to Kalika, now at eye level, Jarzak, most certainly not at eye level, and Norhill, sort of at eye level. And he looks to all of you and he says, I'm sure that you have all done great things in your trip over there. And it is sad to hear that so much blood had to be spilled, but I'm hoping that there were peaceful ways to navigate around all that had happened there. No? It was very great to hear of. I am glad the light has led you in a better place. I must say that I don't know if it affects you now, but we did rid of that altar and any other dark treasures left at the fort. I'm not sure if you're still following the path of Orcus, but Orcus will no longer inhabit that place. And he says, I wish there was some way I could repay you. I'm sure my riches had been had been taken in that place. And he says, I had a gift that was given to me from my father. He was a scribe and a teacher. And I wish I could hand this over to you as I feel as if all the teachings I had earned in life from my own upbringing, I've gained a new perspective through the teachings of the light and everything I had learned so far by you guys and your compassion and empathy towards me. Anton, if I could offer you my family heirloom, I would. It was a very special magical trinket that most people wouldn't think to put on their fucking finger and touch the little three buttons on it and try to figure out what it fucking does. But if they did, I'm sure they would find out that it was a very useful and interesting little tool. Darzak never took it off his finger. Oh, God. So he looks over and he's like... <gasps> and so he's just... just <laughs> so like, he looks wait, over this? Clink <laughs> has got it on I, her I fucking thought... nose again. <laughs> I, I thought it was just for reaching deep. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Oh. oh my. No, the, the pig knows it's hard to get into. <laughs> but anyway, with that, he says, I mean, it's a writing implement. He says, I, oh. you can keep it. He says, I think if, if there's any use to be found in it, I'm sure you'd be able to find some use. Somebody, maybe. He says, but Anton, I'd like to dedicate the rest of my life's work to whatever it is that you studied. He says, I wish to walk in the way of the light. He says, I have often sought purpose in this life through things greater than myself, and the only place I felt truly welcomed was in the light. Where is it that you hail from? Put my hand on his shoulder and I say glory week. Head to glory week. 
speak of my name, they shall treat you with the best hospitality if they do not let me know. And fair travels. Old Anton Claus. <laughs> we, oh, him? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, we know that jerk. <laughs> Let's get him! I just, okay. But with that, he sets off and he says, I'm off on a pilgrimage for Glory Week. And he says, perhaps someday we will cross paths again. And he leaves with very little on his back beyond bedroll, some food, and the general traveler's gear that'll keep him alive on his way. But, yeah, so he just dips and starts heading down the road with a look of a man who truly has found salvation. Wait, um, wait, wait, wait. Hold, hold hold up. Okay. He cartoonishly, like, have, have you been in contact with some, what was it? It was buff goblins, right, Klika, who are invisible? Um, do you talk to other invisible people? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we found other invisible people. Well, they were orcs. They have the piggy oh, noses. They didn't sound like orcs, though. They, you said go- they were speaking goblin. They were goblins, right? Well, they could have been just extra big goblins. But I, yeah, big invisible green folk. Yeah, do you know them? And so that he, in a very true and honest way, he shakes his head and says, I'm afraid I have no idea of what you're speaking of. And I'm sorry, I can't be of more use to you. So there's no link between invisible people. <laughs> Don't you know all invisible people know each other. <laughs> yeah, right? That's so <laughs> awful. And so with that, um, he just gives another knowing nod and starts heading back down the road. Um, and I would guess I would say at this point that once you guys return back to the Green Onion, uh, Guillemin mentions to everybody after Shereel comes in to kind of give a notice that it was his voice everybody had heard, he was not of sound mind, and that he had, the place had been cleansed. Um, the place booms with a level of industry it hadn't seen in a long time, because after hearing that all the children had been either saved, I say children, uh, the very matured adult... <laughs> Uh, individuals, once it had been heard that they had sort of like been found or accounted for, and it sounds like the evil of the town had been kind of gotten rid of, uh, you guys are not only hailed as heroes for whatever you had silently done, as they assume it's probably you, and Guillemin makes it a point to mention that you guys, the heroes, are in his tavern. He offers you guys free room and board for basically the next week until you find out whatever it is that you're doing next and offers to cover the payment for food and all that stuff. And boy, how does does the town come out in full stride to come just say hello, hang out with you guys, give thanks and praise and whatnot. Um, And yeah, so the only person who comes back in a way that's kind of upsetting is our friend, the uh, teenage boy from the jail cell. And so Gallus approaches you guys at the at the tavern pretty much the first day that you guys are announced as being heroes, um, and it's about night. It's a like dinner time, and he approaches you guys very meekly and very quietly, and says in a somber tone that as much as he wants to celebrate this, all of his friends are gone, and he doesn't really have the means to sort of get out of here and get back to the main city. And so he turns to you offering his services as sort of a lackey at this point. And he just says, like, I'll carry your goods. I'll help take care of your wares. I'll clean your clothing. He says, I'll do whatever it takes to sort of, like, keep you guys afloat if you'll offer me food and, like, a place to stay, he says. But truly, he wants to be at home, you know? Posh. posh. I'm giving him, like, four gold. Jarzak just reaches in the bag and gives him, like, ten gold. Damn. 
Okay. So we'll say that it's like the Are group effort got, as wait, everybody guys... sort of knowingly like nods and hands over a stack of gold pieces to him. Oh, we right, Norhill would have taken him on as a squire, but he can read the room. I mean, we can st- <laughs> I, I think uh, paying him a livable wage every day, that would work too. I, I don't think we need the, the assistance of the boy. I think he needs to return to his home and his family. And so the boy kind of nods, Gallus nods a couple times over at Anton and and says, it is what my heart desires, but I also understand that the honorable way to live is through service. And if that's what I need in order to make enough money to get home, then so be it. But I graciously accept the gifts of of gold that you have offered. And so with that, he takes it. Do not go hunting for service. You'll find service where it best fits you take my stance into existence. For instance, I've been working at the same temple since a child for nearly 50 years. Has Anton had something to drink? <laughs> take me Is for Anton existence. Is talking to Gallus anymore? Did Gallus walk away? <laughs> he literally walked off with the money. Yeah, so take like I'm walking off with existence. Just walking <laughs> off with Gallus. Yeah, so this money should be able to get you home, bud. Uh, hope all goes well. He's like, but let's go get a round of drinks. Let's get rowdy. But with that, Gellis on his way out, um, stops I by one of the tables, hops up. Oh, what, what? I think Klico wants to pull Gellis aside before, like, he dips, so. Okay. I mean, you can follow him pretty much out the room and stop in the middle where it's all crowded. Okay. Uh, and I think Klico's just going to look up at him and be like, you... Um, you left your family to come here with your friends, and they were supposed to be your family, and now you're going back, and you have to make sure you take care of your family, and when they do stuff that's bad, and you know it's bad, you have to say something. And so he gives a nod, and he says... You got a second chance. He says, I won't take my second chance for granted. I've learned much through mistakes, and I hope to carry the wisdom and, and compassion of you all along with me for the rest of my days. Okay. And so with that, on the way out, he stops, climbs up on a chair, and he says, let's hear three more cheers for the saviors of Cooperford. And so everybody starts going the three rounds of hurrahs, and by the third hurrah, the door's already closed, and he's long gone as he's running off in the night to go go buy some stuff at that 10 gold and totally not go home. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but in the days that follow, the party, uh, they do, uh, you guys are given kind of a cushy existence for right now. A lot of time to kind of recuperate, sell some wares. And if you guys would like to, you can hawk the jewelry that you found and the gemstones for pretty much exact price at this point. The people of town are able to start doing business again. So it seems like they're more than willing to pay a decent price for you guys, sort of helping stimulate the economy again. Not only with the barrels being safe and secured again, but all that other jazz. Uh, One peculiar gift that you guys find is a single envelope that's been sealed with a small wax stamp of no pedigree or anything like that that's been slid in front of you guys' bedroom door. And upon opening it, there's a small note inside that reads, um, if there were a way that I could apologize, I would. I hope that this gift shows my sincerity and I hope in some way you can forgive me. And it's signed by Gilmo. And inside is a small ring that looks like it's something of an earring. 
Um, while it looks like a pretty common gold earring, you notice that it's got a certain like a brilliant like sheen to it that's kind of not your standard golden earring. You know what I'm saying? Does anybody have ears with which they can wear earrings? I think all Probably of us. Probably not. Yeah. I mean, I, I I have ears, but I don't imagine that Norhill has them pierced. I mean, you could always just pierce it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, that would get like snagged on the inside of his helmet. It's it's not that, that bad. Would anybody like to wear this earring? I think Glicka will put it on. Okay. Uh, once you wear it, maybe it's a sense of empathy or or whatever that you're feeling washed over with. But there's just the sense of kindness that you feel, and a sense of like almost strength in that softness that you feel towards another human being. That when you're wearing this earring. Um, uh, if you choose to become attuned to it and kind of embrace that sensation of it, would you like to attune to it in the time there and kind of seek your feels while wearing it? Sure. So while you're wearing this earring, um, you have advantage versus all fear-based effects. Um, but you just feel this weird sense of like warmth and compassion while wearing it to the point that like, even if there are things to be afraid of, the sense of kindness you feel towards other people seems to outweigh that. But um, the most important bit of info here that happens is uh, the party gets a solid 100 pieces of gold for every character in the group um, gifted to you as a gift um, from Vendira, the mayor of town. And she herself is kind of uh, a tough looking sort of, I don't want to say stocky, but she's, a, she's like a, a workforce kind of like hard built woman who looks very tough and rugged like she's worked at the cooper for her whole life as well but she greets you guys warmly and says uh in a, in a pretty rousing speech to all the townsfolk how much what you have done has helped not only you know cooperford but also amaroth as a whole and mentions that is kind of like a final surprise after gifting you guys all that money she says that in the end, the queen herself of Amaroth has scheduled for a single carriage to come in the morning uh, tomorrow to pick you guys up and bring you to the capital city of Eagleheart. Um, and she's hoping to meet with you guys for something of a royal banquet and congratulate you all for your heroic duty to the lands of Amaroth. Um, and as she mentions this, people are kind of in a weird state of like, oohs and ahs. Maybe this is like kind of a charged comment, but it's almost like hearing that like you get to go meet the president. It's like, yeah, you're meeting the president, but you're also meeting like this president. So it's like, it's one of those things where everybody comes to the table very charged on their opinions on the queen. So you hear like a lot of people like gasp as well as being like excited for you, but the applause seems to drown it out. Dan, if this goes up after the election, that could read completely differently yeah i'm thinking about that now <laughs> holy cow wait a minute yeah yeah so uh -oh. <laughs> just well you know what let's let this be a time capsule because this one ain't coming out for another three weeks and i'm assuming by then we'll have all the election results back yeah <laughs> so so what she tells us that Trazak's just like wait like all, are you sure like all, all of us and so as the din of everybody cheering and hooting and hollering about this kind of drowns out your comment, she turns to you and puts a hand on your shoulder and she says, yes, Dryzak, many an orc have been gifted the status of being very kind and honorable people here, and I think you've more than well earned that title for yourself. Uh, th thank you. 
And so with that, you Klika guys. Sees, uh, that little, where she put her hand on Jarzak and Klika whispers over to Norhill. Norhill, Jarzak's bouncing back. He's going to get himself another girlfriend. Jesus Christ. And that's where we'll end it. Hey, everybody. It's the young Grognard here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dungeonous. Thanks.